welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Pastured Pig Podcast. Excited to be back here uh, in this um, holiday season. And as I'm recording this bumper, we are nestled between that dead time of life, (laughs) Christmas and New Year's. Um, We all just survived. Hopefully we all survived this cold winter blast. And, you know, in, in West Virginia, I'm not used to chipping ice on a regular basis, but I've been chipping a lot of ice here recently for... um, for pigs and chickens alike, but uh, is what it is, right? You know, the way I look at it, hopefully all this super cold weather has eradicated a lot of the bugs and other pests for uh, next year's growing season. But I hope everyone has managed to navigate this cold weather, even as far south as Florida. I know you guys got uh, temperatures you're not used to. And those of you in the upper Midwest, my goodness, God bless you for getting out and taking care of anything at those minus degree uh, real field temperatures. That was some crazy stuff. But um, it is good to be on a break. I usually try to take this week off from everything and just kind to uh, lounge about. But since I um, haven't done my second podcast episode for December, I thought, well, let's go ahead and get that one out. We have... uh, Plenty of interviews in the can, so let's go ahead and record some bumpers and get this out for you. So uh, this is this this is the one, and we'll obviously pick back up in January and continue with our regular schedule. I just want to do a quick update. Actually, I want to do a, a, a call to action, a request, if you would. Some of you listening, uh, faithful listeners, have have mentioned that you would like to be involved in any type of data testing we're doing with the Pastured Pig website. And I'm in the process of that. So that's my step now is to data test to see if my code is proper. So if you all have, any of you listening that have a farm presence, so you do anything for retail, resale, if you would, reach out to me, just Troy at RedToolHouse.com. And I'm going to give you a link where you just go enter your basic information and we'll use that uh, to data test some things. And I'll even show you, you kind of get you on the inner inside loop there, inner circle of what we're testing. And then once we've knocked all the bugs out of it, then we can make it available for the entire public. But if you wouldn't mind, if you'd like to be a part of that, just go to Troy at RedToolHouse.com. And of course, this is in line with some of the stuff we've done with Patreon. So if you'd like to see this grow and grow faster, by all means, if you're not supporting us on Patreon, please consider doing that. Uh, link will be below in the... Um, in the show notes there. Okay, so what we're going to get into, we're going to go ahead and get straight into our um, our interview. And this interview, we're going to talk with Olivia Shantroop. She's with Breaking New Roots. And I really, um, really enjoyed this conversation. And I like the fact that just on six acres, this is a full-time gig for them. So it just goes to show you, you don't have to have tens, twenties, hundreds, or thousands of acres to make a full-time job out of farming. So just with six acres, they're going full-time. They're polyculture, but they also use mangalitsa. So for those of you that feel that you can't make any money off mangalitsas, then Olivia could give you some advice as to how that's possible. So um, it's something I find very interesting. And also I want you to check out their website, and I'm going to put a link below as well. You'll hear us talk about that a little bit more in in the discussion, but make sure you check that out as well. All right, well, let's jump into our conversation. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. Today, we are going west to Indiana, and we're talking with Olivia Sean Troop from Breaking New Roots Farm. Welcome, Olivia. Hi, thanks, Troy. I really appreciate you having me and taking the time to talk with me today. Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. I know you've got a busy day, and uh, there's there's children in your midst, so if uh, if we need to cut short, we fully understand that. That's uh, that's part of the farming life, right? Is uh, taking care <laughs> yes, of the livestock <laughs> and the little livestock, <laughs> <laughs> the mini farmers. All right, so so tell me about. Um, I want to know about breaking new roots farm. First of all, tell me about a little bit where your farm is and and just kind of the setup there. Give me that forty thousand foot elevation view first. Yeah, absolutely. So we are a six acre farms, farmstead, homestead. 
in Shelby County, Indiana, which is just southeast of Indianapolis. Mm. We're like 30 minutes from downtown Indies, but it's also very rural out here. So it's a really nice location to be in. And we do farm to table with beef, pork, and chicken. And over the last couple of years, our funnest adventure, <clears throat> our funnest adventure has been having our pigs on pasture and being able to see what that world is like. So we have some Mangalista breeds and we're working on a crossbred for ourselves and mm. then some value added products to make all the extra um, stuff that comes off of them available to consumers. Oh, very good. Very good summary. I like that. That was very concise. <laughs> Thank you. So um, Shelby County, is that part of the golden triangle for whitetail? Is that within that area there that big whitetail hunters all over the country come to you guys? Yes. Yeah, I thought so. Part of it, I believe. Yeah. 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 All right. So, yeah, that means you're in the heart of farm country. I guess a lot of monocropping around you and things like that. A lot. We, um, so like I said, we only have six acres and we are surrounded by um, corn and soybean fields. We have asked and asked and knocked on doors and written letters to our neighbors to see if we could buy some of their property, hmm. and nobody is budging. <laughs> so we are six acres strong. <laughs> right, right. Yep. Got to go with what you got, right? Right. Exactly. All right. So with breaking new roots, uh, let's 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 talk about in pre-screening. You shared some things here that I think are really interesting for for people to hear. So. You, um, first and foremost, you are a full-time farmer. So let's, let's talk about that uh, a little bit and, and, and kind of the dynamic that you and your husband have when it comes to responsibilities uh, as far as employment goes. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess a little bit of my background, I grew up on a 300-acre row crop farm over um, on the Ohio line. Hmm. And when I met Paul, um, we decided that we could do things a little bit different. And my dad had just started doing the farm to table thing. So we found our little spot in Shelby County and um, started raising our animals. And at the time, um, I was working at a bank um, full time. When we got married, my husband um, became a firefighter paramedic. So he does 24 on 48 off. And then I actually transitioned out of the banking world and went and worked at a commercial pig farm. So I have the commercial experience, which I think really set us forward when we started doing our own thing. And then the days are long and you don't talk to people and the pigs talk back, but not so much. <laughs> and I, so I went back to banking for a little while. Um, we had our first child, Lincoln. And I got four months of paid maternity leave, which was incredible. Nice. And when I went back to work, my boss was like, okay, let's gear you up for this assistant manager position. We're going to get you going, start doing these things and these things. And my whole body just froze. Mm. And I was like, no. And she goes, what do you mean? No. And I said, do not promote me. I will not be here in six months. Mm. And I hadn't even realized that for myself yet. But having that four months at home with full pay, so I didn't have to worry about the finances, I knew that that is where I needed to be and the money we would make it work. So I thought it would be six months and it turned into two. I couldn't stand it anymore. I was done at the <laughs> bank. That was right after COVID and I just couldn't handle things anymore in that world. And I came home and um, it took us a while to figure out our responsibilities we had been very much 50-50 when I was full-time, um, and he was able to do more things on the farm because he was home more often than I was mm. doing 24 on and 48 off. And then when I was full-time, things kind of transitioned to me doing everything basically full-time. And um, yeah, I mean, it's really been an amazing experience to see what the land will do for us. Um, now being a mom and having to share my love for the farm and the time with the kids and not just time with the kids, but just responsibilities of being a mother. It's, it's an interesting world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think that Paula or I could tell you that either of us have one responsibility over another. <laughs> right. Um, we just know things need done and somehow they end up done. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Very good. Yeah. That's, that's. That's the core of teamwork. There is is uh, you don't stick to job descriptions. You do what it takes to get get everything taken care of. Love it. Yeah. So let's let's back up a little. Let's talk about because you you said something interesting there. I think would be um, 
be worth exploring. So working at a commercial pig farm for a while yeah. and and getting that experience. So uh, briefly, what was your what was your capacity uh, specifically? What were you required to do at the pig farm? And then how has that influenced you to the positive or to the negative with raising your own pigs on pasture? Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going to take one extra step back. Sure. And that when on the farm that I grew up on, we had cattle. Okay. And that was my bread and butter. I love cows. They're my favorite. So when we first bought this place, my first need, <laughs> it was a requirement, was cows. Um, pigs, you know, were a little different story. My grandpa had had some farrowing barns and he at one point had like 30 uh, farrowing barns on the property that I grew up on. Actually, yeah. we kind of traded houses with my grandparents. Yeah. Wow. And, um, but I, that was gone by the time I came into this world. So working at the commercial pig farm, I was a farrowing tech and I was in charge of about 400, hold on, 300 sows, hmm. um, and their pigs. And it was a lot of responsibility um, there in the commercial world, you know, everything is vaccinated. Um, most things are automatic feeders, but actually ours were not, our sows were not on automatic feeders. We had to hand feed them, um, when they were in their gestation, um, rooms, right, right. when they're in the, um, or sorry, when they're in their farrowing rooms, they were not on automatic feed. So mm-hmm. we had to hand feed them and make sure that they were getting the nutrition that was appropriate. And, the people who had their own individual rooms, like me, I was responsible for that. So if I noticed that there was a certain sow that was not looking good, or she was starting to get sickly, or she wasn't eating appropriately, it was my responsibility to treat her. Whether that was with feed, a different type of feed, or with a type of medicine or something. So from that, um, and then her their piglets. So if there was um, an issue with any of the piglets, or um, if there was an issue with behavior of the sow to their piglets, all of that was in my repertoire. Yeah. Um, now on the commercial side, they were all in farrowing crates and um, they didn't get, you know, the exposure that our current sows do now. Hmm. So I think what that did for me is it gave me a certain level of confidence that I really think I needed to be able to see sows. It also let me take a step back and let nature do its thing. My favorite story is when we had accidental piglets born on our farm. So we knew that it was time for us to get uh, feeder pigs and we could put them out on our pasture. And my favorite pig, she was so sweet, um, so docile, but she was the biggest. So she had to go to the processor first. And literally a week before her processing date, I looked at her really square and I looked at Paul with a very confused look on my face and he goes, what's wrong? I said, um, why does she look pregnant? (laughs) (laughs) And sure enough, gave her a week and she had nine piglets. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, so did you have a board? Did you have a board? Some stranger come calling? No, it was right before we bought them. I um, called the guy we bought them from and I said, was she exposed to a boar? And he said, well, yeah, but he wasn't very big. So I didn't think that he was mature (laughs) enough to breed. And I said, well, he works. Guess what? Yeah. (laughs) They're very resilient, aren't they? They'll they'll find a way. (laughs) Yeah. And so we weren't set up at all. We just had one little room in our barn. We have an old um, dairy barn from like early 1900s. And um, I was like, well, we'll just set her up in here and we'll just see what happens. Let nature take over. And it was the coolest experience. And I think I felt that harder from seeing it in a commercial side Hmm. to seeing it in free range. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a very different experience. Yeah. I I appreciate that. Uh, I mean, that's that's a very unique perspective from you to to being uh, in the commercial setting, managing those and, and just seeing how that operation goes and being part of that to then, like you said, seeing kind of more of a natural element. And again, we could get down into the pros and cons of both, but, right. um, but I do appreciate the fact that you've done both and, and you, you lean a certain way based on your experiences. So that's really good. 
So let's so let's talk about you. You said the M word, which I think we have to address. So you you have <laughs> mangas. So what got you in that direction? So you went from you kind of went all the way across the spectrum here, didn't you? So you went from a commercial sure operation all the way over to to you know hardcore heritage, slow grow out woolly pig. What was the genesis of that? Yeah. Um, so like I said before, my dad had started farm to table. Um, right as I was finishing up college and he had heard of this breed of Mingalista and he tried it. So when we were able to get our own pigs, I had already had that pork product and seen them grow on his farm. And I knew my husband and I knew that that's just what we would get. And we would kind of figure out the details of that afterwards. Um, my dad just has them on more of a dirt lot instead of rotating them on pasture. So when we started rotating them on pasture, we saw full force what those pigs really can do. And the coolest part is we put them in the worst part of our property. If it sprinkles, that part floods, Hmm. hands down, always. Um, So bad that we did have a big flood and the pigs swam over their fencing <laughs> Wow! during that flood. Yeah, that's um, and that next year, after having them on that part of our property for just one summer, that next spring, we had our first rain where it definitely would have flooded and it didn't. Hmm. Okay. So what do you attribute that to? What, what did the mangas bring to the table there? They, we didn't let them like moonscape the property. Okay. We just let them eat it down, till it up a little bit, and then move on. And I truly think that they were able to disturb the soil enough to activate the seed bed that's under there, uh-huh. give it the manure that they that it needed, and it pulled up the seeds that needed to be like specialized in that area. It needs root crop is what it needs. It needs that big, thick, deep root, that plantain, those wide leaf. Um, broadleaf plants and that's what it brought and then we also let it sit for that spring a little bit longer so that the early spring warmth could really push those roots down let those plants come up Hmm. and I think that it's all attributed to the pigs yeah so if if I I don't want to put words in your mouth so it sounds like they they their tillage that they did uh, maybe tore down some of the compaction thus promoting root growth, thus getting more absorption through that soil because you didn't have the hard pan compaction where water's just going to glance off. It was soaking in, thus eliminating the, the flooding potential you have because there's more absorption and the plants are using that water more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Huh. No, I'm not, I'm not going to say that it never floods because it does still get really, really wet. Yeah. But- no, but I, th- I think you're I think you're spot on there. I mean, that's we think about you know, what are mechanical disturbances? What are they trying to do in those areas? You know, you got to break up hard pan. That's why you you plow and you disc and you do all those type of things to to break up that that crust. So that if a pig can go do that while it's fertilizing along the way and activating that seed bank and providing nutrient, then yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. And and it, it's really neat. I mean, I'm sure that wasn't like, oh, this is what we're going to do with this and we've got it all figured out. But to sit back and look and say, hey, that's a pretty good, pretty awesome side effect of having the pigs in this area. Yeah, absolutely. That is exactly how we felt. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. So tell me about this this cross that you're working on. So you've got the mangas that, and then we'll come back and kind of talk about your, your actual production that you're doing for resale. But you said something there about a cross that you're working on for, for kind of your personal stuff. Yeah. So as we all know, or maybe I guess some listeners don't know, but the Mingalista breed, while it has wonderful quality, there's just not a lot of meat there. And we process our pigs big anyway. We try to get them about like 320 or so. So we do have quite a extra wastage. And what we have been working on is a cross with like, we've looked at some of the Burke breeds, um, some of the Duroc breeds, you know, other of those ones that people say are good dirt hogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a friend of ours um, who also has been on this podcast, Matt Ross oh, with yeah. um, Field of Hops, 
he has a had a boar that was a Berkshire. So we bred him to um, three of our purebred Mangalitsa sow, or well, they were gills at the time. And um, those babies are being processed in the first of the year. Hmm. So you. that's kind of our first hop into the cross. Yeah. So that's so that'll be your that'll kind of be your test there to see how those turned out. Yeah. And as we've watched them grow up, they definitely are growing a lot faster than I thought they would. Hmm. Um, I was preparing full force for a 14 to 16 month grow out. And really, they're at that. I mean, they're a year now. And um, because of COVID, we can't get processing dates in now. But they could be processed at the end of the year. Interesting. Okay. So, so yeah, so that's, yeah, I want to unpack that a little bit. So let's go back to your, to your pure mangas. What were you getting? Cause you said 350 pounds was the finish weight that you're going for. So that's a pretty heavy manga. How long would it take you to get to that point with your, with your mango? They were probably closer to 320. I would say 300 Mm -hmm. to 320. I don't, I don't think we had any hit 350. So if I said that I was wrong, but, um, what we do is so we have them on on the pasture and we also feed just a regular standard grower finisher feed Mm -hmm. but we do half of that um half of their feed ration is with um, brewer's grains Mm -hmm. and it took us about 14 to 16 months to get those mangies um to the size we wanted yeah well that's not bad i mean that's not bad you hear you hear stories that people looking at you know 20 to 24 months to get to a, a a production size so so you're you're definitely ahead of the curve there so it looks like with this cross then and obviously it'll, it'll all determine what your finish weights ends up end up being but it, it sounds like you're you may be improving that by 20 25 percent as far as your um your grow out time yeah um and you know time to maturity I mean, yeah, there's feed costs in there, but it's not something that we are really heavy reliant on. We're more worried about what they can do for the soil and, you know, what their quality is at the end. Um, We just put out a YouTube video about uh, brainwashed into efficiency, and that's about broiler chickens. But it kind of ties back into the pigs, too. Um, My dad on his side has seen this as well as we have that when you let them slow down, that the quality that you get from those pigs is just phenomenal. They're able to put in some of that intermuscular marbling. That fat is able to be kind of idled instead of that tough, you know, um, hard to chew fat that it's like it was put on yesterday. So letting them have that time to grow out isn't something that we're too concerned about. But Ultimately, you know, we are still feeding them feed and that does cost money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, you, you, you find what works for your market, what you, um, you know, what your customer base is looking for and then what works for you all. And, and I like I, I talk about this a lot on the podcast, but I like when people embrace the multi-purpose function of the pig. So you're talking about soil improvement, you know, the regener- regenerative sides of this, not just for nearly the uh, or, or solely the, the quality of life for the pig and the health of the pig, but for the health of the farm. And I assume they, they probably play a role a little bit since you're dealing with six acres and you've got cattle and chickens and pork. They, they, they probably are, are some symbiotic things going in there amongst those, aren't there? Yes, Absolutely. Um, we don't actually, last year we did, this year we did not graze the pigs with the cows and the chickens. Um, because last year we realized that when you have pigs on pasture and they do till up a little bit, it is really hard to get a chicken tractor over that the next year. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It it leaves some (laughs) gaps, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. So we have separated them. We do have plans next year to put some lane hens with them that are in more of like an open style um, setup Mm -hmm. and not in a chicken tractor that has to go over all the, all the rumples, but yeah. Yeah. I, I do still think that it's very symbiotic with just the wildlife that comes through the wild birds that come through. Mm-hmm. We have so many birds that we have never had before. Yeah. 
Yeah. So in thinking of, of your, the lay of your land, I assume that six acres, do you, do you have much woodlot? Do you have any woodlot at all there? We or? don't have any woodlot. Yeah. Okay. It's all, it was all a hay field. So about four acres of it is a hay, was a hay field when we bought it six years ago. Um, the other two acres consist of winter lots, house and barn and outbuildings. Yeah. So the, the hay, those hay fields probably weren't amended as well as they should have been. So that's, yeah, you probably had some pretty bad soil there, like you said, and that's where the mangas are really helping you build that quality up. Yep, absolutely. Hmm, interesting, interesting. Okay, so I I do have to. I know this is this is kind of not uh, uh, congruent with our conversation where it's going, but I do want to come back. Um, you talked about your father and, and his farm close by and, and the, the the land you grew up on. So it, would it, is it safe to say that he's more conventional and you're kind of getting more into regenerative and how does that dynamic work to you all? Are you, are you all convincing him to look at these things or is he, is he set in his ways? How does that work out? Um, he definitely is more conventional. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that as time goes on, he sees what we're doing um, and appreciates it, mm-hmm. but he does not want to do it that way. And we just, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat, as to say. So mm-hmm. we just kind of let it be idle at, yeah. at where it is. Um, I tease him, him and my uncle. So my uncle has about 50 goats. And there's one field that he said, Olivia, you're going to be so happy with me. I said, why is that? He goes, I'm putting my goats out on that field. <laughs> and I think it was, um, what was it? It was like, it was wheat. So they'd harvested the wheat and he was letting the goats go in and get the rest of it instead of doing straw. Right, right. said, oh, did you get fancy? Are you going to move them every day? And he goes, well, no. I was like, oh, well, you're halfway doing it. <laughs> right, right. Kind of the Columbus method. You turn them loose and then go go discover them whenever it's time to bring them in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know. But it, they're catching on. They're, yeah. they're, they're coming around, I think, a little bit. Yeah, you know, and it's, it's one of those things where – yeah, we really shouldn't be forced to go one way or the other. But I think when we start to draw our own conclusions, I mean, your, your dad's obviously he's ahead of the game and, and even looking at the farm to table type stuff and, and just looking at value added services. When you look at conventional and everything's commodities and you're you're at the mercy of, of um, you know, the, the whole national system, then uh, then looking at oh, what can I do to value add? What can I do to insulate or add additional revenue streams? So that's that's good that he's exploring that and, and, and seeing how that fits into his model. Yeah. Along that line, though, I, I think let's let's spend some time talking about how you're doing that. So you mentioned you've got mangas, which, of course, are our lard breed pig. And so they have some pretty good byproduct when it comes to processing. So since you're going to a heavier manga, you're obviously getting a lot of fat back, or if you didn't get it back, you were of course wasting that weight. So what are you doing to take advantage of that breed to maximize the products you're getting from processing? Yeah, we have discovered that lard is like God's gift to earth. <laughs> right, yep. It I started doing research one night. I got lost in a rabbit hole about how good lard is for you. And from consuming it as an edible product to just putting flat lard on your skin. Paul was listening to a podcast one day. It may have been on your podcast um, who somebody had like a really, really bad sunburn. Hmm. Am I on the right track? Was that on your podcast? Be honest with you. I can't remember Olivia. They're all all blurring for me. It was a long time ago, but um, somebody had a really, really bad sunburn. Like they were blistering almost an hour after this sunburn Hmm. and all they had in their house was lard. So he lathered up with lard and the next day it was like he never had a sunburn Hmm. at all. Interesting. Yeah. And so we started really thinking into that and we are very fair skinned people. Hmm. We burn really bad. And, um, we started looking into that and we have found that I have what we call our ointment and we use that for every skin ailment at all. So cuts, scrapes, um, dry skin, sunburns, just even regular burns of, you know, Paul's a firefighter. So he got burned on the tips of his ears from a, um, a fire one night hmm. and we put ointment on it. 
and it heals everything so quickly. Oh, excellent. It is amazing. And then we started looking into soaps and I have found, especially working at the bank during COVID, my hands were cracked and bleeding because they were so dry. Sure. Started using our soap with lard in it. No cracks, no dry, nothing. Perfect. That is excellent. Yeah. I mean, I think, my goodness, I go down this whole rabbit trail of misinformation of lard over the last, you know, 50, 70 years when we look at the heart association and all those type of things and Uh and, and trying to get away from these um, saturated fats and blah, blah, blah. But um, I mean, that's, it's kind of, you know, kind of an idea of dance with who brought you, right? So you've got the mangalitsa that's going to produce all this stuff. So you can obviously just throw that away or you can, you can value add that. So it, it's, it's, it's kind of one of those things that triggers a, Hey, let's research this. Let's, okay. We see value in this. And so now how many different products can we make? So Indiana, I assume is, is similar to West Virginia. You can't produce lard for, um, for human consumption for resale, correct? Yes, we can. Oh, you can. Oh, very good. So as it- long as the processor is bottling it because ah, it's state yeah. and or USDA inspected. Gotcha. So at the yes. processor. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. So do you do yep. that as well? Do you have your processor produce lard for you? Yep, we do. Very so we good. have them render it. We, for our, our R&D, we were rendering it ourselves just to see what the process was like. Um, that takes a really long time <laughs> and yes. it makes your house smell like fat. <laughs> right, right. So we just have our processor do it now. And um, we do have some customers that are getting getting on that bandwagon of getting away from vegetable oils mm. and going back to animal fats to cook with. So we do just sell them lard. Um, I cook with it. Yeah. And then whatever isn't being sold, we use for soap and lotion. Exactly. And the other product we found was sunscreen. We use it for sunscreen too. Oh, really? Really? Mm-hmm. Very good. I found out uh, my son, my oldest, um, he is allergic to commercial sunscreen, which after doing some research and you see what chemicals are in sunscreen anyway, it's horrible. And I was like, well, I'll have to make a homemade sunscreen then. And I started looking up how to do it and they were using an oil and a fat. And I was like, huh, I wonder if you could do that with lard. So I tried it and it is amazing. I find that I don't even burn. I just turn tan, which I've never tanned in my life. but it tans me. Yeah. Well, that's great. So, so are yeah. you finding then, obviously you've got your, your local customer base, but these, um, these value added products of course can, can go beyond just your local market. Are, are you taking advantage of online sales, any type of retail like that? We just opened our Etsy uh, store last week. Hmm. We, when we really started pushing through these products after we got through our R and D is when I was very pregnant in the middle of the summer. And then we had our second child or daughter. So things got pushed on the back burner a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. And now that she's getting older and we're kind of figuring out our new life with this new routine with two kids, um, it's kind of coming back to the front burner and we're working on things again. So we just put our soap up on Etsy. Um, we're working on candles also with our tallow from our, uh, calves. Um, so that'll be on there too. Um, and then we'll get our ointment going. We're changing up how we have it. So our ointment, I was just doing lard and an essential oil. I try to keep things really simple, Hmm. but, um, through some R and D I found that beeswax added to it really helps. So I found a local beekeeper that I buy all my honey from and got their wax and started using that. So we'll push that back on Etsy here soon too. Oh, very good. Very good. I want to back up real quick to your processor rendering your lard. And this is uh, kind of my own morbid curiosity. So when you ask them to render your lard, are they producing that in your resellable container? So you don't touch it at all, or are they giving you a large quantity of it? And then you're able to repackage when you bring it home. They put it in a two pound container themselves with our label on it and the USDA sticker on it. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. That makes yep. sense that it has to be, has to be 100% handled by them. You bring it back in and I assume that's not vacuum. That's not shelf stables. That's something that you then have to refrigerate until it's sold or. We have it in our freezer. Mm-hmm. Um, they give it to us frozen. So we just kind of ah. keep it in our, we have a walk-in freezer. So we just keep it in there. Yeah. Um, I have kept lard in our fridge for months and it's still good. Mm -hmm. So I don't really know 
what the shelf life is on that, to be honest, but it seems to be a long time. Yeah, there seems to be some discussion, I guess would be the appropriate word to say about that, because we've canned lard, and I've I've kept it on the shelves for, for a very long time, canned, and uh, it's fine. And then you, you hear people tell stories about, oh, my lard went rancid so fast, but I think there's a lot to do with the uh, the processing of that and rendering how clean it was rendered, all those type of things, and you know, how much. Yeah, and to... I think if there's like some water that gets into it, that can make it go rancid really mm -hmm. quick too. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So is mm -hmm. the uh, and you don't have to get into pricing per se, but is the processor? I assume that's that's a value added service they offer that that is still reasonable for you to be able to resell the lard to your customers. Oh yeah, um, I. I'm not good with numbers right off the top of my head, but they don't charge hardly much at all to have it rendered. We pay more for the packaging than we do for the process. <laughs> right, right. Do you have them separate leaf from back fat and all the all that, or do you just have nope? It all we just have it all go into one. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Very good. Yeah. All right. So, so let's fast forward here. So, looking at looking at your farm on six acres. Um, how much would you say you're, you're kind of maximizing your land? Is there opportunity for growth? Are you looking to grow here in the next five years? What, what, what's kind of the, the future goals here? Yeah, that is a funny question <laughs> right now. We have decided from COVID that we needed to grow. So what brought me home, um, from the farm, which was two years or brought me home to the farm, which was two years ago was we quadrupled our production in one year. Wow. That was huge growth for us, but we've been able to maintain that. So on our four acres of pasture, basically, um, we have a really solid income, but we do still sell out of things. So we got in contact with a friend and this year we were able to rent their two acres of row crop and 13 acres of, or not 13, um, six acres of woods. And that turned out to be a bit of a disaster. <laughs> um, they're 20 minutes away from us. Hmm. And we thought, oh, that'll be no big deal, no problem. But the pigs got out hmm. and we chased them for miles for um, a full 24 hours. Oh, gracious. Wow. It was horrible. So we brought them home. And then we still wanted to use the land and they still wanted us to use the land. So we put cows out there and then the cows got out and it's just too far away. So we're taking a pause on that at the moment. Um, and in that meantime, we want to find other spaces of our property that we can use mm. to do other things. So we want to expand our farm, but maybe it's not in beef, pork, and chicken. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's in wildflowers on the hill by the road that nobody likes to mow. Maybe it's in getting a couple beehives. Um, maybe, you know, part of like a you pick garden or something, pumpkins, things like that. So we're looking at other value added things we can do on our tiny little property that maybe um, is a little bit different than what we've been doing. And it's not just livestock. Yeah, you know, I gotta, I, I have to applaud that because that is, um, yeah, that's not putting a, a a square peg in a round hole type of situation. You're looking at, you you go with what you've got, but look at what you can do. And I keep using the word value add, but that is, um, that's a really important aspect of that because whether it's just producing a product that's that's grown, whether it's you know a, a cucumber or a pig, then uh, and you turn around and sell that item versus taking something that requires additional post production that are, uh, allows you to have a greater margin, then you get to explore that with your property and say, hey, you know, here's here's a, you know, a, a 100 by 100 area or maybe a 50 by 50 area that uh, you know, per square footage is going to produce way more money because Again, you, you've come up with some additional product from that and and taking that time, having that creativity to look at that and taking that time to explore that. I think that's very wise versus saying we got to have more land. So I assume probably tillable acreage around you that you're probably looking 10,000, 12,000 plus an acre going out and saying, oh, we got to buy five more acres and that's going to require us to go into debt or we got to you know, I got to go back to work or something like that for this to happen. So, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I like the way that is a it. that is a big problem here. Um, So the county next to us is Rush County. It's a county east hmm. and it has the best soil in the state of Indiana. Ah. Yeah. So um, around here, we're at about thirteen to fifteen thousand dollars an acre. Yeah. Wow. 
yeah, it's it's expensive. And we've tried um, to move and it's just <laughs> it's hard to make it worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's especially right now. And, and I, I run yeah. into this all the time. In fact, I've, a lot of people ask me about land in West Virginia, but, um, land is, is always been expensive, but it's even more so right now. And, uh, so yeah, making that move right now would not, not necessarily make financial sense. So yeah, again, just, just go with what you've got, uh, work with what you have and, and try to wait to try to find a way to maximize that. So yeah, I appreciate that attitude of y'all and it keeps you from, from getting upside down too quickly and stuff that, uh, that can, can hamper you for the next 20 years. So, yeah, it's really easy to make a rash decision too. There was a property that came up for sale just North of us and we were about all in and Paul and I tend to be extremists and usually we calm each other down. So usually I'm at one end and he's at the other, but this one property came on and we both got really, really excited and I was calling the banker and then I started talking to my dad and he started talking numbers with me and we realized that it would be damn near impossible <laughs> for right. us to buy that and not be so financially strapped that it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a successful farm. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's, um, there's wisdom in that. Definitely. Yeah. I, I could speak to the opposite because uh, when I was 20, goodness, what was that? 20, 25, I bought this hundred acres and, and at the time, my um, uh, the the president of the bank that we were dealing with was a good friend of the family, and he's like, "Yeah, I'll give you anything you want." And so I was like, "Okay." So we go back and get more money. Yeah, you can have it. You can have it. And nobody ever asked, "Where's your budget? How are you going to pay for this?" All that type of stuff. So when it came time to finally finish up after two years of buying and building, I was like. Oh my goodness, <laughs> this mortgage is insane. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah, so it's taken me, uh, you know, I'm no longer 25, but it's taken me uh, many, many decades to uh, to get that under control. So yeah, that, yeah, it's great to see that, you know, have that wisdom before you do that and, and realize that, okay, this probably isn't the right direction to go on this. Let's pump the brakes and let's see what we can do here with what we've got. Yeah, and ultimately, I mean, we do love where we are. We are so close to everything. I mean, like I said, we're 30 minutes from downtown Indy mm -hmm. and where we get our brewers grains is downtown Indy. So, you know, it's a nice trip. We can stop by the zoo on a good day yeah. through the summertime and make it, you know, more of a family thing. And um, that's something too, that's been hard talking earlier about it being full time is when you work a nine to five job you have this like limited time to do things on the farm and you feel very stressed and strapped that you have to do so many things in this really small window. Yeah. And then when you farm full time and you have kids, mm -hmm. it's a very strange feeling to do work in the middle of reading a book to my toddler right. <laughs> and going and getting brewer's grains. So we're picking up feed for our animals, but we're going to stop and have a beer. Yeah. In the middle of the day. Sure. You know, it's a it's been a very interesting um, feeling for me specifically to work through and say, hey, I'm still working. I'm at the zoo today, but I'm still working. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do, do you see that? And this is obviously getting a little bit off topic, but I, I do have to ask. So do you see yourself? Are, are, are you going to be a homeschool mom at some point or is that something that's in the cards right now? Yeah, I think that we're leaning towards homeschooling. Um, but ultimately, I think it'll just we're very child led around here. Mm -hmm. So we'll just see how our kids do. Yes. Our oldest is very um, emotional mm. <laughs> and he does things on his own time. Yeah. So we just kind of sit back and let him see how it goes. We are getting into like co-ops and other homesteady um, families. We're befriending that are also homeschooling families. So it's probably in our cards, but we'll just kind of see how things go. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. That That's the right attitude to have. Play it uh, year by year. When we started with our, 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 our one that's going to be almost 21 now, when we started homeschooling him in kindergarten, we're like, it's kindergarten. How bad can you screw it up? Right. So, uh, <laughs> so we started there and, and here we are, you know, uh, what, uh, 15 years later, we have a 20 year old and a 17 year old, uh, the 21 year olds already graduated from college and, and the 17 year old is, um, is well on his way as well. So it's, it's awesome. one of those things that it, it worked well for the farm. It worked well for the family and it worked well for the boys. They, they, um, they had that bent in that direction. So that's where, 
exploring that with your kids and say, well, they, they, they have that bent as well. So maybe it's worth investing. And you've already, you kind of already have the model working for you now. So, uh, you know, a, a stay at home working mom is a stay at home working teacher as well. So there's, um, right. you know, it's kind of like you've already ex- assumed that role before uh, really getting into it. Yeah. The mini hats of a farmer. For Indeed. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And that's why I was looking through your social media. I love the fact you've got, um, you got videos and you got pictures posted that you're out there doing chores and and you've got the uh, papoose wrap. I don't know the proper name for that, but you got your baby strapped to you and everything. You just you're just getting work done, and I love it. Yeah, that's yes. We um, had a different YouTube channel last year, so our farm name is Sean Troop Farms, mm-hmm. and we wanted to rebrand. And in that process, our YouTube channel was accidentally deleted. Oh no! Yeah, but in those old videos, I had Lincoln in a carrier. And in one video, I was load field loading calves by myself because Paul was on duty and the calves needed loaded on the trailer. And I have Lincoln on my back and all the comments were like, what's on your back? What are you? Oh, my <laughs> gosh, that's a kid. You're doing this and you have a baby on your back. I'm like, it's yep. just life. It's yep. just farming. <laughs> Yep. Yep. That's, that's the way it is. And that's, that's the way it's been done uh, before we got all technical. It's the way it's been done for thousands of years that uh, you took them out with you. They learned how to do it as well, one way or the other. Uh huh. Awesome. Well, let me, let me, let me, uh, I want to be sensitive to your time here because I know you've got youngins that are sleeping and then, and you want to, you know, when it was always the adage, when they're down, you're down or you're getting taking care of stuff that can only be done when they're asleep. So I don't want to keep you uh-huh. through entire yep. nap time here, but let me ask you, let me close with this one question. What is your favorite thing or, or the best part about raising pigs on pasture? Ooh, can I answer that with a story? Please do. Okay. So the surprise litter of pigs that we had, and they were in a makeshift part of the barn that we figured out would work. I went out to check on them one day and I saw the mom and she's laying up against the fence on the outside. Cause this part of the barn, there is there's a section in the barn, but then there's a run outside. And I see her laying by the fence, but I don't see the piglets. And I'm like, um, where did they go? Like surely all nine didn't get picked off by a hawk or something. <laughs> And I look around and on the other side of this fence where the piglets could go, but not the sow, these piglets had taken this tall brush that was up against the fence row and knocked it down. And they were laying together underneath this brush, safe from aerial predators, Mm -hmm. but still right next to mom, but far enough away from mom that they weren't going to get laid on. And it was my aha moment of these pigs really know what they're doing. (laughs) They are as intelligent as we have seen. And like these studies that have come out that initially said that pigs were the stupidest animal, but then they changed their line of sight. And now they're actually the smartest animal. They really are the smartest animal. And since then, we've had even more stories of that, of just the pigs figure it out. And that's why I love the Mingalista breed so much because they figure pasture out. Mm. We bought a boar ourselves this year and um, he was a Tamworth and he was still like a commercial hog Mm -hmm. from the show world. And he actually died on pasture because he physically didn't get up to get a drink of water. Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But the sows on the other hand were in this tall pasture uprooted the plants and made a little hut so I went out to go check on the sows and I didn't see them. And then I hear one bark at me from underneath this mound of chaff. <laughs> and I realized that they made their That's own right. bed. Sniper cell. She's hiding. Yeah. <laughs> so my, my, my favorite part of raising pigs is that they are so cool. Very good. Yep. No, yeah. Great stories. Great stories. Appreciate that. So if people want to find out more about you, because I think we want to make sure we underscore all this. So if they want to find out more about the farm, where can they find you? And then where can they find your products? Absolutely. So we are on um, YouTube, Facebook, kind of Instagram and TikTok as Breaking New Roots. Mm -hmm. Our farm is Sean Troop Farms. That's my last name. I'm sure you'll put a link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just SeanTroopFarms.com. That's our website. And we are on Etsy as Sean Troop Farms. 
Yes, very good. Yes, wonderful. Yeah, and I understand, as a marketing guy, I understand the impetus for rebranding um, Sean Troop Farms because people hear that and they think, now how do you spell that? <laughs> That's the first thing they say. <laughs> exactly. And it's nowhere close to what it sounds like, is it? Yep. Well, and even a funniest story, our processor, we had our labels made with our name on it hmm. um, on our product and they spelled it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oops. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's why uh, um, people have a hard time with McClung as well. So we just uh, we just went with Red Tool House. So it's like, okay. Yeah. Three yep, simple absolutely. words to spell. So. All right. Well, Olivia, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Enjoyed talking with you. And um, it was really good. I, I, I like I like getting into some of the deeper discussions as to why and how you do things. But I really appreciate you coming on. And I, I pray you have a great week and the kids sleep for an extra hour today so you can get more done. Well, thank you, Troy. Thanks for having me on here again. I really appreciate everything. And maybe I'll be on here again someday. All right. Sounds good. Take care. Well, I really appreciate Olivia coming on the podcast. I thought that was an interesting interesting discussion. And I appreciate her time and appreciate everyone. You have a look back over the last year, just been a lot of stuff going on, but a lot of good interviews, a lot of good discussion. And of course, that's all thanks to you all, those of you all that decide to to venture out, maybe get out of your comfort zone and, and allow me to record our conversation. Really appreciate that. I know there's a lot more listening ears out there that have not yet um, have reached out to be part of the podcast, but would love to have you tell your story in 2023. So by all means, please go to thepasturedpig.com and you can use our form there to submit your information or you can just email me directly, Troy at redtoolhouse.com and then we can obviously get a discussion going there and get something recorded. Again, if you want to be part of our data testing and you have a commercial or a retail wholesale farm operation, if you're selling to anybody other than yourself, let's say, um, reach out to me, Troy at redtoolhouse.com, and I'll get you a link to do some testing. Require a little bit of data entry on your point, but, uh, part, but nothing crazy, and it's just obviously data entry dealing with your specific operation. And you can obviously give me feedback in that uh, data entry process as well. But I'd like to get that tested throughout January and maybe have something ready to roll out in February if things go well. All right. Well, if you want to be on the podcast, reach out to us. If you got some topics you want us to discuss, then by all means uh, do so. And also any feedback if we need to start looking more at news. I don't know if you guys, anyone that follows the channel, but I've uh, kind of been on this um, this kick about tearing down some of the... Um, um, how would I say this, misinformation about feral pigs as they relate to uh, pasture operations. So I've had some really good feedback and, and some actually some hateful feedback on uh, YouTube about that. So it's made for some interesting conversations. So not to plug my own channel, but if you want to check that out, I, I, I would love more info, input from pastured pig operators uh, as they speak into the same situation. All right. Well, I pray everyone have a great new year. Um, please remain safe and pray that 2023 unfolds in the direction you would like it to. All right. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com. 